Hi, friends. You are listening to the EntreEd Talk podcast, where we feature amazing educators and entrepreneurs showcasing how you can bring entrepreneurship into the classroom. We believe entrepreneurship is for everyone. I am your host, Toy Hirschman, and I am so glad you chose to join me on this journey. Let's go. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another fun-filled episode of the EntreEd Talk podcast. We are here today with Beth Curley. Beth is a full-time tenured business professor at Hillsborough Community College, or HCC. You'll probably hear me say HCC a bunch. And she's also adjunct faculty at the University of Tampa. In addition to her teaching activities, Beth serves as the co-founder of the HCC, see there it is, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Program at and Operations Startup. She actively works in promoting and building community and business relationships for HCC, Hillsborough, and its students. Before joining Hillsborough, Beth founded BK Consulting, a business and marketing advisory service company. Internally at Hillsborough, Beth was part of an entrepreneurial venture, international education programming, where she was responsible for marketing. Today, this program generates over $3 million in annual revenue. And Beth also served the Southwest Florida region as special assistant to Governor Jeb Bush. And in that role, she was responsible for meeting with constituents, discussing state policies and issues with the local community leaders and citizens. She also reported to the governor's office on matters related to local community needs. That is so cool. Beth currently lives in Tampa with her husband and her beautiful daughter, Emma. So Beth, welcome. We are so excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you, Toy. I'm really excited to be here, too. This is amazing. So before we did, Beth and I are good friends, so you might hear some giggling on this conversation, <laughs> folks. So just, you know, not sorry. Okay. <laughs> we're starting it already. <laughs> well, I'm a goofball, but, you know, it's nice to have two goofballs in the room at the same time. Well, and not in the same room. Um, so before we dive in, uh, Beth, can you tell, uh, tell the audience a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Oh, wow. And, and such a long and winding road. I think that was a song at one point, right? So a little bit about my background pr professionally. I, I started at an electric company, um, Delmarva Power and Light. I, I'm from the mid-Atlantic region. And I was a, um, I worked in marketing there at Delmarva Power and Light. And they were undergoing a, um, what's the word, uh, an, an expansion. So they were starting a telephone company. And so it was so cool. It's like I got to work at a startup, but within a utility. So that experience just taught me so much about what it takes to, to start a brand new company and, and what type of marketing is done when you are changing brands and all of that kind of cool stuff. And what happened to me, as happened to many people, uh, the electric utility itself underwent a downsizing. And my position at that time, unfortunately, was cut. So I, I was jobless. And I just happened to be finishing my master's in business administration at the same time. And I... I thought, you know what, maybe I'm just going to change completely. So I went and landed a job with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Delaware as their director of volunteers and of public relations. And I stayed there for a year and I loved it. That That's when it bit me, this 
community, give back, um, just doing the right thing for the right reasons for the right people, you know, just, I, I absolutely adored it. But unfortunately, I just couldn't take the weather in the Northeast anymore. And my husband and I just one day said, let's move to Florida. I mean, literally my daughter wasn't born at the time. It's just the two of us. Like, let's just move to Florida. And we did. We landed in Florida. And um, that's when I... I thought, you know what, maybe I want to teach. So I went to an open house for adjunct faculty and I landed a job at HCC teaching and I absolutely adored it. Remember I said this was a long and winding road toy? Well, boy, did it wind. It really took a wind. So I'm teaching at HCC and I find out that the International Education Office was trying to put together some study abroad programs and they really needed some help with the marketing collateral and kind of the strategy behind how these programs would work. And so I I took that on and I I started working in that international education office. And so then it twists again, it twists again, Toy, it's crazy. That office was right next door to the special assistant for the governor. So Governor Bush at the time had uh, special assistants throughout the state of Florida. So there was one, of course, in Tallahassee. There was one in Jacksonville, Orlando, Miami, and Tampa. And we, we each or they each had a certain number of counties that they oversaw. So the, the woman who was working in that position was right next to my office. Well, she was promoted and she had to find someone that could fill her position for the last two years of the governor's term. Never thought, never thought that this opportunity would come to me. I'm a girl from Delaware, don't know Florida politics worth a nothing, didn't really care. Um, (laughs) But I thought that sounds fascinating. And it, lo and behold, long story short, I land that position as a special assistant to Governor Bush for the last two years of his term and learned so much in, in those two years. I absolutely loved it. And then I, I had my daughter, Emma, and after he left office, and then a full-time faculty position happened at, uh, at HCC. And I came back home. That's how I look at it. You know, I, I started in Florida at HCC as a part-time adjunct, took all these little weird twists and turns, and then I came home and really feel like I'm doing something meaningful and impactful for students of HCC and my community. That's awesome. That's not that long and winding road. It could have been more. I, I edited a little. <laughs> it's winding, but it, it, it all kind of makes sense. You know, I mean, I guess in, in hindsight, because a lot of people have that like, oh, it, it was so weird when it was happening. But then when you look back, you're like, what? Yeah. So this, I just find it really fascinating that you work for Governor Bush. Um, What do you think you worked as kind of the community, you know, you were the eyes and ears of the community and Mm -hmm. brought all that back to his office. How do you feel like that that impacts you now that you went back home to HCC? I I am so happy that I had that experience. I, I learned so many things that I use in the classroom and that I, I can use professionally in the building of our programs and even the, the execution of our programs. So some of the first things that I learned Toy, really had to do with the culture of the governor's office. And th- that culture was one of personal responsibility. And 
we were empowered by the governor's office to answer questions and and really communicate with our constituents on his behalf. So it was so wonderful to work in a culture like that because let's say for instance, Toy, you come to me with a problem. Let's say that it was, there was a pothole in your road. Okay. Now you and I know that that's not a state issue. Definitely doesn't go to the governor's office, that pothole. That's probably your county or your municipality, right? But many constituents don't know that. They're going to go to the top. You know, I'm going to the governor. I'm calling the governor about, about this pothole. So it's my... Totally. Yeah, right. It makes sense. So what would happen is I would get these calls and I couldn't say, well, that's not the governor's problem. You need to call, you know, so-and-so. No, that was not acceptable in, in the office. It was, okay, let me get your contact information. I'm going to make a few calls on your behalf and someone will be in touch with you. So then I am calling into the county or the municipality, whoseever responsibility it is, and finding out the answers and having then calling back to that constituent. And so that personal responsibility is something that I feel to this day that the buck stops here. I also learned that you're representing not just the governor or the man in the office, you're representing the governor's office. There, there's a difference between the two. And I think we lose that a lot on, you know, oh, I don't like the governor, you know, don't like the governor and all this negative stuff about the governor. But you know what? I respect the office that that governor holds. And so I, as a public servant, am going to respect that office and do what I need to do for my constituents. Um, so I think that's one of the, the main things that that I have learned in in that experience in the governor's office is creating a culture right here it, on my own team and with my students or within my class of personal responsibility, being ethical, making good decisions, never passing a buck. Don't pass the buck. Um, and I think you may see this uh, too in, in, in people that are listening today. Uh, when you go and have a question, let's say at, at your bank, and then you have to talk to three different people to get an answer. That wouldn't have flown in Governor Bush's administration. You talk to one person and that person's going to get your answer and then come back to you with it. And when I was out in the community, uh, I got a lot of great feedback about that. I would speak at Kiwanis clubs or at Rotary clubs and and they would ask questions that were outside of what I know because I, I didn't work in the policy department, no PB, you know, that wasn't me. And so I would tell that constituent, you know what? I do not have an answer for you, but I will get you one. And they would tell me straight up, you know what? I respect you because you are a yes, no, I don't know person. And I really respect that. And I just think we need more of that. And so I tried to demonstrate it to this day. That is amazing. So many young people need that too, that because you get... I guess you get into some of these, some jobs and I've had, you know, where that's not my, it's not my, not my jurisdiction. And the fact that like in the, the, the potholes, a more simplistic kind of example, yes, yeah. but that person, if that fictitious person probably wouldn't have gotten it fixed, had it not been coming from 
the governor's office down to the whatever the I can't say the word municipality I had a trouble with it there too <laughs> that's the other thing I learned working for the governor <laughs> I can say words oh wow so yeah that that's amazing and it's it's wonderful that you bring that into into the into your school I love that um you're able to I think as we grow in a career, we're able to bring all of these things with us. And it ends up, you always kind of end up like, oh, well, I, I couldn't be here if I didn't have those different steps and those different pieces. And I wouldn't be as good of a professor, as good of whatever you do if I didn't have those other things. Yes. I think that's the other important point about my story is that in school, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. And so I changed, I changed a lot. Um, from, from high school, I thought that I wanted to be in accounting. So I went to a business school. Well, I changed my major. I wasn't interested in accounting. I changed to, to uh, information systems, but my personality did not fit information systems. I'm much too talkative and outgoing and need to be amongst people. So then I switched to marketing and that's, that's where my home was. Uh, definitely. I, I really felt that marketing bug. And then even from there, it was public relations. And so all these twists and turns led to that opportunity with the governor's office, because it was when I had to interview with the chief of staff, they didn't need anybody that knew politics. Matter of fact, my lack of experience in politics is what they liked, because the politics is not related to governing. They're two different things. And I just, I thought this was so cool. And so they, they wanted my experience in public relations and even volunteers and, and marketing. And, and that's what I was able to give to the governor's office. So, you know, as students today are thinking through what's their career path going to be, you, everything does link. It, it really does link where, oh, wow, I never thought that I could work for the government. Yes, I can with my marketing degree. Who'd have thought, you know, that you didn't have to have a political science degree. By the way, most of the staff were much younger than me and they all had political science degrees. And I will tell you that, remember, I worked in Tampa, not Tallahassee, which is, of course, our capital, right? So Tallahassee would call down to Tampa and they would need a question answered. I would have my question answered in my report up to Tallahassee, probably within like an hour or so. And they just thought I was such a rock star. And like, there's this thing called Google and yeah, I, I just find it out. So I also discovered, and I'm, I'm twisting you a little bit here, uh, Toy, but I was exhibiting entrepreneurial competencies at that time and just didn't know it. So the marketing skills, you know, kind of, paired together with my problem finding skills and, and being able to look at situations from a different perspective gave me the capability of preparing briefs for the governor that were really well-researched and well done. So really cool your, background. Your self-efficacy self skills, which is one of my favorite entrepreneurial mindsets. I <laughs> see. And you can say efficacy. <laughs> Well, it's in, it's in my dissertation, so I say it and write it a lot. <laughs> but not <laughs> municipality. <laughs> Municipality's not in there. <laughs> but yeah, like just the fact that you were like, yeah, I can take this job. Why not? Of course I can. You know? Yeah, it, it, um, I was pushed. I was pushed. I, I, I exhibited a typical female. I think it's a female thing. I've read about it. So 
Um, there's some studies that have been done that we do this to ourselves, um, where I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. Um, I can't do that job. A lot of that self-doubt self-talk was happening to me. I won't lie. Um, I, I knew I wanted to go do that job, but I was too chicken to go talk to the woman who was doing the hiring or, or making the recommendations. And she was a friend of mine. So what it took was a really great boss. And that's another thing that just really changed my life. His name was Michael Brennan, and he was the one that I was working for in the international ed office. And he said to me, Beth, get your fanny. <laughs> this is how he talks. Get your fanny into her office and tell her that you are interested in this position. And it took that. It took this external force to get me moving. And I'm, I'm glad that he did that because it gave me the confidence that I needed that, you know, I kept doing that self-doubt nonsense. Now that I'm older and I look back on it and say, wow, it, I, <laughs> I was so dumb for thinking, you know, what was the worst that was going to happen? And she was going to say no, or that I didn't get the job. Um, I, it was really silly of me. I was too afraid to fail or, you know, be embarrassed or whatever. And it was keeping me for an from an opportunity that literally changed the trajectory of my whole career. Yeah. We do that to ourselves, don't we? We do. Time. We my do. Mother has always been the one that's like, get your fanny and go, because <laughs> he's like, you're doing that thing again. <laughs> Yeah. Stop that negative talk. And, and I, I find my daughter doing it. And so I, I am interceding in there um, and saying, don't tell me about what you can't do. Let's talk about what you can do. And again, entrepreneurial competency. And she, she's so sick of hearing the word entrepreneurship. <laughs> she's like, stop it, mother. <laughs> my, my son. I don't want to hear any more about entrepreneurship. <laughs> he butchers the word in a, in a way that so speaking of entrepreneurship, I'd love to know more about Hillsborough Community College and the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Program and Operation Startup and all of the cool things that you guys are doing there because I love the way that you're that you're doing entrepreneurship because it's it's not traditional and uh. more very slowly some schools are starting universities and even in K through 12 are starting to get on board with this idea of the ex more experiential learning and things, but I'm going to shop. I'm going to let you talk about oh. and how you, and how you do things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I'll try to not go into too much detail about how it all began and, and give you, try to give you the, the highlights, but I think it is important for me to tell you how it began. And, and this is for, you know, I hope this story helps other schools, whether they be high schools or colleges, universities, from the beginning, we, meaning Dr. Andy Gold and myself, we are partners in the development of all things entrepreneurship at Hillsborough Community College. With, uh, without him, probably wouldn't happen. Without me, it probably wouldn't happen. This was a collaboration that was just meant to be to, to do some amazing stuff. So from the very beginning, he and I felt that in order to develop something that is meaningful to our community and to our students, we needed to build it as if it was a startup. This was not heard of in education toy. I, I, I couldn't find any place that 
actually built something around the students' needs. So community colleges are great at having advisory boards and and having their faculty and, and, you know, and building programming for the needs of the employers. But entrepreneurship is different, you know, because entrepreneurship, if you're building a program around that, hmm, is it the need of the employer? Now, today, yes, it is, because those entrepreneurial competencies are a 21st century work skill. No doubt about it. But remember, we were doing this seven, eight years ago before all this was hot. Okay. Entrepreneurship was just starting to simmer at that time. Um, you know, but Shark Tank had started, you know, everybody was starting to kind of get excited about this whole entrepreneurship thing. So we built the program like a startup. So here's some of the key points on, on that. Number one, we started with what we had, which was a certificate in entrepreneurship. It was, uh, I think it was called Entrepreneurship and Business Development or something along those lines. That certificate, Toy, this was funny. And some colleges that are listening to this may know exactly what I'm talking about. It was made up of a principles of marketing class, a principles of accounting class, principles of management class. I think it was just taking all the business administration classes, squishing them together and and calling it entrepreneurship. And so when Andy and I started looking at this, we're like, whoa, something's got to give here. There's a reason this thing is dying on the vine. But it was something that we that we already had that we could look at and 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 start molding something new. So we thought, all right, well, we need to know some information. So the second thing that we did after looking at the first certificate and seeing that it was dying, we did that research to, to see what enrollment was. It was very, very down and it should have been ticking up because entrepreneurship nas- nationally was starting to tick up and locally. We, there, we saw articles uh, in our local newspapers and local publications about entrepreneurship in the Tampa Bay area. And so that was number one. And then number two, which really differentiated us, is we did a survey to 45,000 students of Hillsborough Community College. Wow. And we asked everything about the format that they would want uh, an entrepreneurship degree to be in, like, you know, virtual or in person. We asked questions about the length of it, you know, how long would would this thing you know be? Um, a whole bunch of other questions as well. And that helped us design our first certificate, which was a 12 credit certificate in entrepreneurship. And then, of course, we had to use our expertise and the industry expertise as to what specific coursework needed to be within that degree. So I think those two things, the way to start, are really, really important. By by the way, I got to plug it. That's actually in um, that whole case study is in the community colleges as incubators of innovation book that that NACI has. Um, so chapter two talks about the building of the program and, and uh, really explains how HCC was able to do this. Now that 12 credit degree has now grown, by the way, we have an actual AS in entrepreneurship. It's not an AS in business administration with entrepreneurship. It's an AS in entrepreneurship. I'm so proud of Florida and the, the state frameworks having that 
degree now and HCC just got it. We're launching that specific degree in the fall of 2021. So we're really, really jazzed about that. Um, so that's how it was built. Now, the question you asked me, Toy, was about how, how we do it, the experiential pieces of it. So I'll touch on that if you want me to. Yeah, yeah, please. Because you already said, you said you, you set it up like a startup. So yeah, so then we had, you can't build it and just think they're going to come. That's not going to work. So what we did about a semester before the launch of the first certificate program, we started doing events. So we started doing these entrepreneur meetup types of things. So we had um, we had a veterans entrepreneurship training symposium. And so that was open to the entire community. We also reached out. I think we had about twenty five hundred veterans in our student population. So we were starting to leverage that. Remember with a startup, you use what you have. (laughs) So that's what we were doing, you know, treating it like a startup. And so that was one event that we did. We started doing a speaker series where we were bringing in guests from the community to talk about business ownerships, like entrepreneurs from the community. Entrepreneurs love to talk about themselves. All right. You get you give them a room and put some students in it. They're going to be there and they're going to talk about their journey. And it was so successful because the the community was loving it. Students were loving it. And we were drumming up the demand for the program so that when we launched the following fall, we had filled our cohort. We had 20 students enrolled. So if you just start something, you know, just willy nilly, you know, we're going to start this program. Maybe you get five to 10 students enrolled, but we treated it like a startup. Like we use the marketing skills and have these events and have really good content and a website, like things that would um, help a student decide that they wanted to go down this path with this 12 credit certificate. The, the way that we teach is very different. And Matter of fact, I just came off of another call with a bunch of students and explained this to them. This is so fun. I get to say it again. The entrepreneurship program is not for the faint of heart. It's not for someone who's like, oh, entrepreneurship, that sounds fun and that's going to be easy. (laughs) We know that owning and operating a business is a lot of work. And that it never stops. You can't ever turn it off. It's not like you get off at five o'clock and say, I'm done for the day. You know, I'm, 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 I'm out of here. It's constant. So what we try to do is introduce students to the relentlessness, relentlessness of entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurial journey. So we have students talk, not send a survey to physically talk one-on-one with 100 customers within six weeks. So they have to be out validating their hypotheses about each element of their business model in person with real people. And the stories are hilarious. Oh, toy, the, the stories of these students, this is one of my favorites. We had a student who uh, has an organic laundry detergent and she's really, really shy. And she, she had to go validate that this idea. And so Andy, Dr. Gold uh, says to her, 
okay, well, why don't you go to a Whole Foods and stand in the laundry detergent aisle and strike up a conversation? And she says, well, how am I supposed to strike up a conversation with a stranger? And he says, I don't know, bump your card into her or you know, into somebody, you know, just bump your card and that'll start a conversation. Toy, she did. She bumped her cart <laughs> with somebody and this person went off on her. They were so mad. They were like, dah, 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 you know, like really, really and bless her little heart. You know, she was, she was scared to death. <laughs> but what came out of it, she just started talking to this person where she bumped carts the, and she ended up getting the best information out of this customer. Evidently, the customer was just having a really bad day. And when they found out, you know, the whole story behind this, they thought it was hilarious and they really were very giving. And so she shared that story with the rest of the class about, you know, something bad that happens during anything in your life can really turn out good. It's your state of mind and that entrepreneurial mindset and play there. They would never be able to experience the entrepreneurial mindset if they don't get out of the classroom, if they don't get out from behind their computer and interact with real people in real time and design solutions from the customer's perspective. That's the way we teach. It is all about getting out and getting uncomfortable. Another, I got to give you another quick example. We do this great exercise called rejection therapy. <laughs> and so the, I, oh, it's so good. It's so good. I'm, I hope I'm giving some good nuggets for this podcast. So rejection therapy is you write down, we have students write down 10 questions that they would, they know they would get a no for. Like if you were to ask that question, you know, it's going to be a no. So it's something like, can I drive your car? Yeah. And you're going to say, no, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or can I give you a a kiss? No. All right. So that's the idea. They have to write down 10 questions that they know they're going to get a no for. And they go out in pairs and they have to ask those questions of real people and they do it on campus (laughs) and they video record the experiences. What, so it gets them over the anxiety of getting a no or asking a question. And then the secondary thing that comes out of it is they find out how many yeses they get. They think it's a no, but going through the experience, they actually get a yes for something that they truly thought they wouldn't. And it's oh, just a great, great, great exercise. Um, And there's a video on this too called Rejection Therapy. I forget the young man who did it. He, it was um, on YouTube. Uh, But if you do a Google search on rejection therapy, uh, that's how you can set it up. And he was getting yeses. It it was, it's really funny. So that's kind of how we set up the lesson. So those are two examples of what we do to have that experiential learning um, not necessarily case studies. They're building their own case. They're building a case for their business and it's being framed out within a business model. So exciting. I love what I do. I love that so much. That's like right up, that's right up our alley at Andre and so my alley too. <laughs> Good. So like, so, um, well, I, my favorite thing to say is you can't learn how to swim in the library. <laughs> it, it's, yes, it's so true. But it's so true. It's funny. I did I did an exercise, um, not with 100 customers, but with like 10 
um, at a workshop that was a three-day thing. And so I had this great idea. It's, it was, it's my idea for my lotion pump bottle thing. And I, you know, and I just thought that everybody had in the world has this problem because when I talk to people, they always have this problem. It turns out everybody does have this problem. Well, mostly women, but um, nobody cared. And yep. it, was kind of, it was kind of shocking to me. They had the problem. But they really weren't interested in solving it. It wasn't like, as, I thought it was like an earth shattering ordeal, but no, <laughs> nobody else did. But yeah, and that's what you have to discover with customer discovery is, is there a pain point? Are they going to engage with exchanging something of value for solving that pain? Yeah, and that's and that's really enlightening. And this was a while back when I did that. So it was like really enlightening. And I've taken that into a lot of my trainings with students too, because you know, I I did consulting. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a different thing because people would come to me with their pain. <laughs> right. But but you know, you you could keep the discovery up because there probably is enough people that share that same pain point. You haven't found them yet. Yeah. And and that's what's difficult in this process is how do you how do you know? And so that's why we use a hundred. That's why we use a hundred because you may talk to someone who doesn't have the pain, but maybe their mother does. And then you could talk to the mother and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, this is this is a pain for all of my friends. And so now you found your new market, like you thought your market may look like you, but they end up looking like, I don't know, a 75 year old woman who is having problems with getting the lotion out of the bottle or something along those lines. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Um, It also, uh, we learned too, with that many, that many hits that what you started with, I bet a lot of your students, what they started with ends up being something completely different when they go through that interview process. Oh my word. Yes. Yes. It happens all the time. It's a couple of different things. It can either be, they can persist with their current idea because it's been validated, or maybe they do need to pivot. I'm sure people have heard that word. It's overused, but you know, they're having to switch around what their original idea was because of what they found through the customer discovery. Um, or they realize I don't need half of the stuff that, that I have in this. So the customers are saying, no, I don't want this feature or that feature. I just want this. And and that's what we try to get them to go, you know, validate as a minimum viable product, you know, start with the basics and just see if the the customer is going to bite on that. Uh, it gets overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's tough on them because they get so much feedback. What am I supposed to do with all of it? And so that's why we use the business model because each of those markets you can track with your, with people that don't know it, look it up, but you know, with all the little sticky notes, you know, (laughs) this is the market segment that I talked to and you're changing around the value proposition and, and just constantly validating. It's, it's a great process. That's amazing. I want to take the class. Come on in. Yeah, man. (laughs) <laughs> sounds like it does sound like fun, but I know it would be work. So it's work. it is. See, that's the beauty of it, because the students who find it fun and are doing the work, they're exhibiting those entrepreneurial competencies naturally. Then you've got the ones that real they're they're driven and they hate the work, 
but when they get through it, they love it. So, and then that's still showing it. And then we get the ones that are like, nope, this, this stuff is not for me, (laughs) but we still have a well-developed student toy because now they have those competencies, those skills that they can use in their workplaces. And so we're preparing them for future jobs. So it's just winning all over the place for us because that active learning on skills that you maybe innate, but we pull them out like that whole rejection therapy thing. Like nobody likes being told no. It made you feel bad when you were two years old, when your parents was like, no. <laughs> and so how do we, how do we fix that? How do we develop that in that rejection is not a bad thing. It's persistence, teaching that persistence. And that gets you to where you ultimately want to be, no matter what it is in your life you're going after. Yeah, that is that is so true. We have, you know, we always say at EntreEd too that it's 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 equally as important to understand that you don't want to start your own business. As mm-hmm. but but go through the process and build those entrepreneurial mindsets because those are going to help you no matter what you do. And I think that's more important probably now than any time ever because what these kids are going to do, even ones that are starting college right now we don't even know what the names of those things are going to be. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so true. And I'm so glad that you mentioned something just a second ago, because I think that more funding sources, our governments, um, uh, private funders, the, the SBA, I think it's just as important to track how many businesses are not started through programs like ours. Because we're saving the economy so much money by keeping a business from starting that shouldn't be and it and it fails. And, and it's not tracked well enough. We're starting to do that ourselves, where you look at the students who have come through and those that decided not to, to start their business, at least not at that time. And so we're saving the economy in the future. It's a really important statistic. That's, that's incredible. I, it's also really important on a personal level because you are giving the students these, this knowledge of like, maybe this isn't the right time, maybe, or maybe they find out, you know, I really need to go learn more about this to be able to build that business. And those, those kind of things that are, are saving them from crashing and burning with an experience that they might have, you know, ultimately done. So that's, that's, it's amazing to me. And, and I, I want to kind of shift into, it's not really a shift though, but uh, talk about mindsets, about entrepreneurial mindsets a little bit. Mm. And um, the idea that like, so <laughs> when, when, when I'm in sort of our little, our microcosm, that's becoming bigger and bigger all the time, which is amazing. Entrepreneurial mindset is like a term that we just all kind of agree that we know what this is. But when I try to explain it to someone who does not identify as an entrepreneur. Like for instance, a group of, a lot of times a group of high school English teachers or third grade teachers, or, you know, it's very difficult to describe what the heck is an entrepreneurial mindset. <laughs> and even in higher ed, I, you know, with, with, um, with my dissertation, it was very challenging. I was so thankful to have entrepreneurship educator on my committee because I had a really hard time 
articulating like, what is this thing? Like we all think it's valuable, but what does it mean? So I'd love to hear your, your take take on it. What, what the heck is that? Yeah, I know my mindset. I, I think for, for educators, I think they know it as a different term. It's, it's growth mindset, but I think it's growth mindset plus. I, I hope you're agreeing with me. I hope you're nodding your head. Yes. With me when I, I put that little plus by it, you know, so an entrepreneur mindset for me, the majority of that, in my opinion, is the ability to be able to take action, immediate action. This is what differentiates an entrepreneur from a non-entrepreneur or someone with an entrepreneurial mindset from one without. So when I say take immediate action, I mean that when you identify a problem before you even try to solve the problem, you're already able to determine um, a way with what you have you know, right there in your hand, a way to be able to address it. Maybe it's not even a problem. Maybe it's an opportunity, kind of what you know, Andy and I saw. There was this opportunity with entrepreneurship. And so how, how do we build something? And I, I talked about it earlier on about, okay, let's start with what we have. Now, I, I do subscribe to the effectuation model of mindset, and uh, Sarah Sarasvati, hero of mine, and the first principle um, is means. You start with your means, and so she says that you. What do you know? What do you have? Who do you know? And what is there about yourself? And taking these things and putting them all in action together helps you move forward. So this was a very long, I know you're talking mindset and I'm kind of sitting on one thing, but to me, that's kind of the plus of the, of the growth minds mindset pieces. Um, so self-efficacy, no doubt about it. Um, being able to manage risk, no, no doubt about it. You know, some of the, these things, um, are qualities that are, are used both in the, um, non-entrepreneurship world and just in your workforce as well as in entrepreneurship. I think if we if we hop back one more time to my discussion about working in the governor's office, I was able to take action based on what I knew, who I knew, what I had around me. And that's what kind of made me shine. And I wasn't an entrepreneur at that time, but I was exhibiting an entrepreneurial mindset. How'd I do? You're the one that wrote a dissertation on this. <laughs> not quite on. It's not quite an entrepreneurial mindset, but it's. I'm, and I'm still writing it. I probably will never stop writing it ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the never-ending story. Yeah, I think the other one, Toy. I've got to say this too because I don't think that there's enough of this out there. There's another quality in entrepreneurial mindset that I think is ridiculously important, and. That is accepting failure. Entrepreneurs are, are great at it. The, the failure to them is just like, all right, on to the next thing. You know, give me something new. Let's move on. <laughs> and I, I think that that companies 
don't reward failure enough. I think even in our school systems, we don't reward the trying enough. Um, I, I'm, of course, I'm not going to say failure because you know you. <laughs> I'm an educator too, and you know if you don't do the work, you fail. So I, what I'm trying to get at is if students are showing me this initiative and they're giving it a go and, you know, they're doing their best and they're busting it. Um, then we need, but it didn't work, you know, whatever it was, didn't work the way that it was approached or whatever, then not have that negative connotation for that failure. It's celebrating the, the, what was done and and the trying and and entrepreneurs are are great at doing that. They they fail all the time. You've got to fail before you can succeed. Um, and I think you know this may be a way that one day, if we ever reimagine education, something that can be built into it is all right. What are these touch points where you can fail in a safe space before you need to show that end competency? Because I think that's important. You know, we have to be able to measure success and, and competencies in some way, but there may be a different path of getting to that to that end. Um, so I would say taking action and embracing failure are my two biggies for entrepreneurial mindset, both for entrepreneurs, those wanting to, to start their own ventures, and for students or people that work in the the business world or in government or in education right now, that mindset's going to help them go much further um, in what goals they want to achieve. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it's kind of like all the other things that are considered mindsets kind of fall under like perseverance and communication and all of those things kind of fall under those two, those two biggies. I agree with that. Um, so this is a perfect segue. So you also co-authored a book it's called Impact Ed, How Community College Entrepreneurship Creates Equity and Prosperity. And you wrote it with our, yours and our friends, uh, Rebecca Corbin and Andy Gold. So that is really amazing. And in the book, I, there's a part that talks about this, the idea that you just mentioned, which was the, the more recognition for trying. Yeah. And, you know, whether you call it trying or you call it, you know, failing or falling flat on your face and getting <laughs> Whatever, whatever that trying <laughs> yeah. happens to be for you, this idea of more companies even and schools need to start recognizing this effort more and giving mm -hmm. students and, and employees, whatever it happens to be, more opportunities to make, to, to show that. And I think the example was from um, Google. Uh, was it Amazon or Google? I think it was, I think it was Amazon, but um did Jeff Bezos? Yeah, he's the Amazon. I think. Yeah. 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 He is. <laughs> um, but but the idea that they recognize that in the in their company, and so more that makes everyone else more willing to put themselves out there too. And it works, I would imagine, and have seen it happen um, work all across the board in schools K through twelve and higher ed as well, where schools that have more of that the the experiential learning the idea that, that you know what this might not work but you're going to go through this process and you're going to you're going to learn more probably from your failure than if it worked and you were successful the first time mm -hmm. i know we talk uh like i've talked a lot about it with with teachers explaining like even in a stem classroom 
you can still have a traditional STEM classroom or design thinking classroom where the teacher says, oh, we're going to do this great thing today. We're going to build this, you know, robot that does these functions. And then they show them the robot. So then you're going to get 30 robots. That look yes. Like- oh, it's my pet peeve. <laughs> it's my pet peeve. <laughs> you say, how might we do X, Y, and Z? And then here's some stuff you can use. And then, you know, that, so that's, that's a big difference in the learning involved in that undefined outcome situation is so much greater than, mm-hmm. uh-oh, my robot doesn't look like that kid's robot. What do I need to do? Um, so that's, that's a really cool principle and just the idea of letting, letting students, letting people go through that experience. And it's, it's where innovation stems from. If, if you're just being shown what you're building or being told what is needed or wanted, then innovation isn't going to necessarily occur, or at least it's going to take a slower time in evolving. Um, so yes, it's, it's absolutely critical that, um, we allow, have that place and space for innovation to occur. And that's a culture within organizations that embraces failure. That's the easiest way for me to say it. I know it's just so counterintuitive. What do you mean embrace failure? I mentioned the Google example. So there, there's another one, and I'm 99% sure that, it, that it's Google, where they actually have employees come up with a project that they know is going to fail, that there's no way on God's green earth that it's going to work. It's kind of like kind of like my, my um, rejection therapy kind of thing. And Google gives those employees a, a period of time and they're getting paid for it and everything. Like they, they're to go all in and trying to solve whatever this problem is. And they know that there's no way it's going to happen. And at the end of this program, there's this big celebration about how this team didn't finish or wasn't able to do what they set out to do. And, you know, they clap and have balloons and like, there's this whole big celebration of the failure. But what they see on the other side is that may they now have the, the runway, the start of something for a missing piece that may happen in the future. And how, like, how cool is that? You know, that, so that's just one way that a company is, is addressing this innovative culture and the, using the acceptance of failure as a way to be able to stimulate that, that innovation. I, I think it's super cool. And I'd love to do it in education. Um, just, haven't gotten to that yet, but you know us. We'll probably have our own celebration yeah. of failure yeah, in the next year. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just, especially in education, making students more comfortable with just that, that concept. And, you know, we always talk about going young, going younger, 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 because the more exposure you have to that, I, you know, the, the trying and the failing and, and, you become desensitized to it where you're like, you know what? I, I'm not afraid to try. I'm, I have the confidence to be the creative confidence. I think was the term in the, in the book, this, idea. Yes. you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't the artist in school. I wasn't like, I didn't get that creative label, but I know I'm creative in other ways because I've had these experiences and with entre- entrepreneurship can be scary but if you have that, you know, with like your program and with other programs, 
even lower in in the in the secondary level you know you've once you've gone through it a few times you kind of you start building this confidence like i i can do this mhm Oh, and so your intentions might be whether I'm going to be an entrepreneur or not, I'm going to carry the, those skills and those things with me. And I like to use the analogy of, of somebody, two people that, you know, are going to go skiing for the first time. And, and they have this, you know, the, the mindsets are so different, you know, somebody's like, oh, I'm just going to go and I don't really want to do this. And I don't think I'm going to be able to. And then the other person's like, well, you know, I, I think I can, and we're going to take a class. We're going to, so they, the, the likelihood of the person with, that confidence going in, ending up skiing is, is higher than the other person and not breaking their leg. <laughs> yeah. But it's that idea that like, I've had these, I've had experiences with, with different things, but it gives me the confidence to know that I can learn something new and I can do something new. And that's like you said, where innovation comes from. So that's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Well, um, we're kind of up on our time, but um, I could talk to you all day. So I'm going to have to bring you back and maybe we can do a, a, a you and Andy together because that would be really fun. That, <laughs> I, or that, that might last like 10 hours. I was getting ready to say that that would be a couple of hours, but we did do, we did do a podcast together and we behaved ourselves. We, um, the, the moderator was fantastic. She, she gave us a list of questions each. So we knew what we were talking about. <laughs> She was great. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd want that. I think I want the chaos. <laughs> okay, we can bring chaos. That's that's definitely something that chaos. we can bring. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. I love it. And Andy, for our audience that might not know, Andy was on a, a early, early, early episode. So please go check out Andy Gold's. It was fun. And there's a whole story about John Travolta, which is really oh, Andy. He's so funny. <laughs> and, and and you know, we we touched today on the building of a program, and and I. I think that just the partnership and and the differences between Andy and myself are really what makes it work. Um, he we describe Andy as kind of that shotgun, like just ideas everywhere and everything is crazy and blah blah blast it all out and you know stories and so on and so forth. And then I'm kind of the laser pointer, you know, like. Zip! you know, we're going to zip in on some things and it just, it works, you know, our energy works. Students love having the both of us as their, as their instructors, because we are so different, but yet very complementary of one another. So uh, look for that. If anybody's building an educational program or a business, find someone that is different than you, but shares the same vision that's what makes it successful. And I think you can look at any entrepreneur duo in history and they will tell you that there's a yang to the yang and, and they may hate each other, <laughs> um, but they bring out the best, the best in each other. And that's definitely what we have at HCC. That is awesome. I don't even have to ask you the last question about what advice might you give. <laughs> you just answered it. I did. That was good. I saved time. <laughs> Yeah, that's really important. And, um, you know, and a lot of times that's another thing that, that students need to understand is that you don't always have to go solo and you're probably better off if you don't and you find someone that has the things that you don't have. There's and- been so, oh, I'm sorry. There's been so many times where either Andy's really down um, it could just be the, you know, the environment, there's all the negativity and all the nonsense that goes on in in higher ed. Um, 
and, and I pull him out of it. And then there's times where it's the opposite, where I'm just frustrated and disgusted and he pulls me out of it. So yes, you definitely need someone else on your team. That that's part of that effectuation stuff I was talking about too. This you know crazy quilt of people that that help you achieve your your ultimate goal, no matter what that is. Wonderful. Oh, Beth, this has been so so much fun. Um, so tell everyone how they can find out more about you and Hillsborough and everything that you guys are doing down there. Absolutely. So to find me, I'm pretty easy to find on social media with Twitter. So my Twitter handle is at M Curly. My name is Mary Beth. It confuses people, but it's at M Curly. <laughs> and then I'll Information about the Hillsborough Community College program, which includes the in-lab. Um, Operation Startup has grown and it is now the in-lab. And that's at hccfl.edu slash in-lab. And that site will give you the depth of services that we have built here over the past seven years. And the InLab is now our center for interdisciplinary innovation. So we've grown. So yes, Toy, we absolutely need a second visit from me to tell you about how the InLab has grown into this really cool center where students come and, and ideate and uh, we're a design thinking center of practice, all this really cool stuff that we do. So definitely go there too. So those are two ways to, to find us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, everybody go, please check that out. And this has been wonderful. So thank you so much again, Beth. And uh, fun fact, I don't know if you know this, my name is, my middle name is also Beth. And I, <laughs> fun fact, I'm Toy Beth, which is so cute. <laughs> Two really short names. I, I mean, I always did love that, that I have a really short name. <laughs> Mary Beth Dean. My, my main name was Dean. Um, Mary Beth Curley. <laughs> oh, well, this, is, this has been wonderful. And I really appreciate you being on here. And I know that our audience is going to love this episode. It's, it's always nice when I, don't, when I don't talk because the guest is so effervescent and wonderful. Oh, thank you. I, I love it. So thank you so much for being on. And we will look forward to part two, where we talk all about the in-lab and everything else that you guys have going on. With Andy. With Andy. I'm, I'm <laughs> excited and frightened. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Beth, so much. And enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Thanks.